Hello and welcome to the Odd Job Pod. This podcast is a rare breed. Let's hope we're not soon to be extinct. Yes, this is the continuation of our more podcasts and we've reached Octopussy. So grab a game of backgammon and your tennis racket and settle in. I'm Gary Andrews and I'm joined as ever by Terry DeFallon and Graham Sibley. Gentlemen, I hope you have both got your safari suits on for this one. Certainly, certainly, we're uh, we're we're ready to to meet all the uh, all, all the dangerous creatures that are lurking in the uh, shadows of this film. I can assure Terry. you that none of us are wearing a red shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Terry, you actually because we we do a bit of chat on on WhatsApp beforehand, and Terry very kindly offered, or I don't think was he even even offered, just uh, took it upon himself to Google facts about the safari suit for, um, for, that Roger Moore wears in this film, which is very exciting. And I didn't even know such a website existed, which gave me great pleasure that somebody's dedicated an entire website to... Bond, Bond Suits is, uh, is an absolutely priceless and, uh, resource. Uh, and also he's one part of the From Tailors of With Love um, podcast, which is a considerably more popular podcast than this one. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's really really interesting resource. I'm sure our listeners are aware of bondsuits.com, but if you're not, then you are now, and you're welcome. You are. That's our little Easter egg at the start. So, octopusy. Um, I was thinking of many different ways that I we could start talking about it, but I kind of having rewatched it um, and still enjoyed it, and there's a lot to to talk and like about it. Should we just get the difficult stuff out the way first? Um, Terry, it's a bit of a problematic film when mm. you watch it in 2020, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I suppose it probably really ought to have been a problematic film when you watched it in 1983. Um, because, you know, we weren't, you know, <laughs> we were aware of that kind of, of racism in 1983. It's not like we weren't. There, there's a, the, the misogyny as well. And as James Bond fans, we acknowledge that that is something that we have to deal with. But the the racism, the colonialism uh, portrayal of most of the Indian characters in this movie, the fact that principal Indian or South Asian characters were are played by Europeans, yeah, you know, these are things that 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 are troubling. And and I will I was I was about to say wouldn't happen now, but of course Doctor Strange. Um, had a South Asian character played by Tilda Swinson, so I mean that, and, and beautifully played as well. It should be said, um, and, and so it's still something that that, that happens now. But I, I think for me, it's it's its problem is is just in the, the 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 portrayal of Indian characters in this movie and the attitude of of the Europeans, particularly Bond towards the Indian characters. It's very colonial. Uh, it's very much sort of like that Raj mentality. Um, and it was horrifically out of date then, um, and it, it's very much so now. And I, I would suggest to you that a lot of people who are new to the Bond franchise, who are younger, might watch this movie and think, yeah, no, I'm not really getting involved in this. No, there, there are a few lines that are particularly problematic. And Graham, it's almost as if the, the writers went, there is not an Indian cliche that we cannot exploit in this film. No, exactly. Uh, uh, yes, uh, that should keep you in curry for a few weeks. Uh, is probably the the, the 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 I don't I don't I don't even think that's the worst one out out, out of them really. But uh, it, it is pretty much the benchmark for for the sort of one liners that that we're getting here. I don't. They were obviously obviously looking to get a big India market here. I think I think they were looking to actually actually grab the the. Um, what must be lucrative, at least in numbers, anyway, as far as far as the global box office is concerned, of just of 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 breaking uh, the the Indian market. And you know what? I think it would probably would have done well, even though it is hideously racist. It's it's almost I I can see it being taken to the people who make decisions in Indian movies, anyway, rather than than the general population, just because of its its just preposterousness. The fact of like, oh, is this how the world sees us? Isn't this amazing? It's like it's like someone making a film in London, and it or just all being about like uh, about red tunics um, guards with with, with 
bearskin hats and uh, jumping in and out of black taxis and meeting the Queen down down on Oxford Street. It's 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 that sort of level of of just ridiculous. This is what India is like, but. It's like you've just described the plot of Johnny English. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Well, they came back and they've written the last six Bond films. So I suppose they, 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 that's, uh, that's, that's where, where, where this whole thing, thing starts, I suppose. Um, now, I, I don't know about you guys. I'm, I've never actually read, read any of the Flashman novels um, because the original script is written by uh, George MacDonald Fraser. That's the the, the guy who wrote the uh, the series of Flashman novels, and I think that that was during the eighties, wasn't it? I think um, so. Mm. So uh, and then it came in, and and uh, then Wilson and Maybaum did did the polishing up to make it a Bond film. Uh, so I don't know how much of that sort of old Raj stuff is. Sort of pretty much lifted from the sort of stuff that he was doing in in there. I don't know if either of you two have read any any of his books. I have read the first one. Right. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I don't know whether or not I, I, it was a long time ago, and I'm afraid I'm not certain that I know whether or not Fraser was writing some of the dialogue and some of the characterizations um, with tongue in cheek as an attempt to make some kind of anti-racist statement, or whether or not he was just simply being racist. It's set in Afghanistan and it's uh, it's about a British officer and, and the British officer has attitudes that, contemporaneous to what you'd expect British officers to have in the 19th century in the Raj. Um, and and, and, and I, th- I think there's a lot of pastiche about about it and, and, and humour and comedy in, in the book and I think that, that, that that's why it's popular and, and they endure. Um, but when I, I had forgotten that George MacDonald Fraser had been involved in the script, and then when I was just reading up again, having watched it recently, I could think, thought, yeah, I can definitely see that kind of same tone yeah. in terms of the humour uh, in Octopussy. So I, I suspect that quite a bit of that survived. Yeah, because uh, Flashman, if, for, for people who aren't aware of it, Fla- Flashman was a character that he basically lifted from uh, Thomas Hughes's book, uh, Tom Brown's School Days, which was written in the 1850s. It's a boy's own adventure of a, of a young lad growing up at rugby school and 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 being a thoroughly good egg. Um, Flashman is the school bully, and it's where the term bully comes from. Uh, when, when he's introduced as the school bully, bully is like saying like the goalkeeper. It's it, it is just the position in in their version of football, uh, and. Uh, the modern day position is, I think it's scrum half, I think, but but that because he's referred to as the school bully and because he's such an objectionable character, I think that's where the term school bully is is actually sort of uh, has morphed into the language. Uh, and so he's a completely, completely objectionable person. I mean, he actually physically damages um, uh, Tom in in the book. He holds him to a fire and burns him. Uh, and he is expelled, which is extremely rare for like, 19th century public schools. You've got to basically kill someone to try to get actually expelled. So it, the fact that he makes him a hero is he, actually, this is what he's like in, in adult life. That that does actually give it some sort of like, goes around with this sort of like swaggering snobbery, um, which, you know, is perfectly suited for Bond, isn't it? It is. It's... It, it... I mean, it's kind of an odd film to to watch in, for me insofar as I, I don't think there was an attempt at subtlety in there and I don't think there was any attempt to, to kind of put commentary on colonialism or, or kind of that satire or, or, or kind of pastiche. I think they, it kind of morphed into a thing of, oh, this is a fun gag. Let's have somebody, let's have Bond um, going over hot coals and ripping a sword out of somebody's mouth and have the James Bond theme on a snake charm, all those kind of things, which probably felt, seemed like a really good gag before they went to the pub or after they went to the pub um, when they were writing the script. But I think it's it's an interesting film because whilst, as, as we've said, it's, it is very colonial, it's also a really interesting I guess, kind of snapshot because, yes, it, was, it wasn't was exactly great for the time it was released in in 83. The, the attitudes were, were moving on from then anyway. But it also encapsulates, like, I think that kind of British arrogance. And so 
it's an interesting film to watch if you kind of detach it from it because detach yourself from the problems to an extent because i think you can you can kind of see that that line all the way from the kind of you know the the colonial attitudes of the raj right through you know british cinema and and some some kind of uh you know a lot a lot of kind of classic english literature like think of kipling as well and you can kind of see that come through into into bond so it's um it's one if you're not trying to to kind of i guess sit there and and pick holes because frankly you could could do that within about five minutes of the film <laughs> um and certainly when you get to india you can look at it and it is it is an interesting kind of point in time and you kind of go well you hope they wouldn't do that again although somehow in what 2000 they decided to write a plot whereby a north korean colonel was um whitewashed into looking like an upper school public school gent which i'm really quite amazed got through any script writing and we probably would have all felt that this that film would have been better for just not existing potentially um but yeah it's it's a it's a very interesting um, snapshot in time. The other thing that really struck me watching it was um, doing a bit of reading and research was this actually felt like it was a, a slightly missed opportunity that you could have gone a little bit bolder. Now, I know that the more films aren't exactly known for doing anything radical or bold, but I, one thing, Terry, that I found really interesting when I was reading was that they, they were considering casting um, a, a, a a, an Indian actress in the role of Octopussy, but just sort of lost their courage in the towards the end and decided to go with Maud Adams instead. Um, and Maud Adams is, is is wonderful, but again, it's those little kind of touches that you could see for me that if you stripped out the the kind of gags and the problematic stuff, that actually there's foundations you could have had a really interesting, bold and mature film that would have still been a very recognisable more film underneath. Yeah, very definitely. I, I, I'm, the, the, there were two actually that they were, there was three, but the, the two that, uh, that they were seriously thinking about was, uh, Persis Kambata, who, uh, the Graham and I know because we are massive fans of Star Trek, the motion picture, aren't we, Graham? We certainly um, are. Yes. We certainly are. It, it's a masterpiece. Um, and she plays Ilea in that movie. Um, and, uh, Susie Quelo as well. Susie Quelo, I think, who, who, who um, actually went on to become a novelist um, uh, and a producer. But uh, I wonder whether or not maybe they, they did they get cold feet about the idea of having uh, a woman of colour opposite James Bond at that point? I don't know. Um, or it might just simply have been that they just wanted to rely on uh, an actress who they thought would, would just be able to, to do the role competently Maybe they didn't feel that uh, either of those two actresses had the necessary sort of like skills to be able to go through what's a fairly rigorous schedule. I mean, we're in mid early mid 80s James Bond. We're in this process where they've got Never Say Never Again going on at the same time. They're probably nervous and maybe they just felt that that was perhaps a bit too courageous or who knows. Cubby Broccoli is, you know, not, not, a, not an easy guy to get inside the head of. Um, and, and I would imagine that a lot of it probably comes down to dollars and cents with him, and not just in terms of the cost of the, paying the actors, but the cost of production and keeping the cost of production down. You know, the movie cost $25.7 million, um, which is even for then wasn't actually a great deal of money um, for what it produced. So, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, just, I just think that, you know, James Bond is a, pretty small C and indeed large C conservative franchise. Uh, and, and yeah, I just think they probably just didn't want to go through with something like that. Yeah. I think uh, you, the, the shadow of never say never again looms over this film completely. And every, every, every decision they make in it is airs on the side of safety. Uh, as far as as things like casting is concerned, well, I mean, what we we would say is safe in the eighties. So nowadays, it wouldn't be safe to 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 cast uh, white people, white Euro Europeans in those roles. But in then, it was far more safer to do that and and more lucrative. So 
obviously covey broccoli close to a pound is gonna is gonna certainly uh try that i mean this is not like the last time the last film came out and and the biggest worry he had to to about competition was stuff like the cannibal run um and Raiders of the Lost Ark, I suppose. But this time, you've got another Bond film coming out. And and that's why this film reeks of Bond all the way through. They get John Barry back because he's got over his tax problems from the last film. And and he puts the Bond theme in so many times. Terry, you, you, you'd be able to say this on, on the soundtrack. But this this must be the most number of Bond cues that there, there are in, in the whole franchise. Yeah, it's funny because I mean the composers didn't necessarily enjoy dropping the Bond movie, Bond movie, Bond theme in as much as all that because they didn't because it, it affected their pay as well because you had to license it to Monty Norman every time you used it. Like when we do the next one, we'll do a View to a Kill, and, and it's hardly in at all there. Yeah, uh, it's the same. It's also John Barry. Uh, it's his second to last one. Um, but yeah, I mean, even down to sort of like that kind of fourth wall moment when you've got um, VJ playing the the Bond theme on the recorder, just clearly just like reinforcing the authenticity of this movie, which I mean, actually, it doesn't need to do, to be perfectly honest no. with you. I mean, it is a perfectly authentic James Bond adventure. Um, and, and, and beyond the issues that we're currently discussing or perhaps with, in the process of moving away from it, it, it it's... It, it, it's it's a very serviceable James Bond adventure as well. well let's talk about that that serviceable nature of Bond. Um, and I found this again one of the things that we've talked about a lot on this podcast is that you generally know what you're in for with Bond when you get the opening credits. You get an idea whether you've got a, a slightly ridiculous caper movie. You've got an idea if this is going to be a cracker, or you kind of like mm, feels a bit uneven. Um, this is probably the only pre-credit sequence as I sat down to watch. And I got shocked to pussy a lot. I suddenly went, I have no recollection of this pre-credit sequence whatsoever. It just did not stick in my mind. Um, which, and I, cause I can remember like most of Octopussy through this, this pre-credit sequence just went slightly over my head. And it also is utterly unrelated to the film. And I think for me, it kind of set up a, a little bit of um, unevenness throughout the film. There's a lot that I like about Octopussy, but you can see it being quite uneven. And I think a lot of what you can see with the kind of the gags and the, the bits that don't make entire sense in the, um, in the pre-credit sequence kind of go through. And it also struck me, and uh, Graham, I don't know how you'd feel about this, that a far better pre-credit sequence would have been the first scenes of the film where you've got 009 being chased through the forest, which is a genuinely tense, brilliant piece of, of cinema. And having that as a pre-credit sequence, 009 crashing to the floor, rolling the Fabergé egg out, that would have been, for me, a perfect time for the Bond credits to then kick in because you'd be like, hang on, this looks like it's a properly interesting, dark spy caper that's coming up. Yeah, I mean, especially if you make it clear that he's a double O agent, if he's got Q gadgets or if he's carrying a Walther PPK, because he's got so much makeup on, you don't know whether or not it's it's Roger Moore or not. And especially if you've seen the promo stills beforehand with Roger Moore dressed up as a clown, then all of a sudden you've got this this element of of, of yeah of, of danger about it. And and I think I I probably thought when when I first saw it that 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 this was a scene with Roger Moore because the actor they use there, it, it, or rather he's actually quite active. Um, I, I don't know if they actually use an actor or whether it was just a stunt double. Um, it, but yeah, it, it, it does. It's got a completely different tone to, to, to the pre-credit sequence. Uh, the pre-credit sequence is a barrel of laughs. It's a big, big action uh, se uh, sequence and done really, really well. I, I thought anyway. Um the and the Acro Star is an amazing bit of kit. Uh but I, I know I know what you, you, you mean by about the fact that it doesn't seem to have anything to do with with the rest of the film. And I think the best, especially in the more pre pre credit sequences, there is something, there's a little bit of a thread going into into to the rest of the film, like the um with uh 
at the start of Spy Who Loved Me, obviously, which which has got a, a uh, Michael Billingson be, being killed, who is uh, the partner of uh, of uh, Agent Triple X, and of course Michael Billington could have actually been the Bond in this film. This is another thing, another interesting thing about 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 Octopussy. Um, but yeah, you're right. This that could be the opening credit sequence to to, to any film. You could tack that on the front of it, of anything, and it, uh, so it is just there as just a bit of action puff, just to introduce you to to Bond, and and again the same thing. This this got to come out with a real belter. Doesn't matter if it doesn't mean anything to the film. You just got to come out with a big belter and say you're watching a Bond film now. This is this is what a Bond film's all about, right? Now we get on to the rest of the story. Get some Mo Binder, uh, lovely visuals there. John Barry, great, brilliant. Right now we're going to go on to into M's office. <laughs> it's everything is 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 there, isn't it? Yeah, and and there is. I mean, as I say, you, you've got no idea quite what what Bond's doing in there. But um, to me, Terry, that also sets up a lot of the film because um, on a on a scale of one to ten on the MacGuffin meter, where does Bond sit on the MacGuffin meter for Octopussy. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, Octopussy is definitely a pretty high uh, nine, isn't it, really? It's, uh, it, it's, it, once it sets the tone of the movie with the, with the pre-credit sequence, which is, you know, really, really lavish and somewhat absurd. Um, but, I mean, it, 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 it then dives into this kind of... Um, spy caper and and, and 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 that's your unevenness i think you're talking about and but the egg uh i mean the egg is a nice MacGuffin because it's authentic fleming of course it because it's it features in the property of a lady um and it's it it, it does serve as a really interesting and uh, you know those opening scenes in london um at sotheby's are really enjoyable yeah and i love the switcheroo that he does yeah um and I love that scene in, in general. It's really good and it's really nice. It's good. I do enjoy it. It's rare to see Bond gadding about London. Um, and, and, but it is his home and it, it's, and it, it's nice. And those opening exchanges and, you know, the nice comforting feeling of being in M's office, albeit with Robert Brown, of course, um, as, as the new M, you know, it just, it just feels, it feels good. And I, I really enjoyed that. And it had that little element of, of intrigue and, yeah, it, it it was weird after the the, pre, the the cold open because you thought, oh, well, we could be in for another another moonrake or another you know a piece of absurd cinema. But then suddenly we we're like, oh no, hang on, we're going to give you a proper sort of like spy adventure. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's it is a it's a it's a great plot device, um, the, the egg, and it, and and it it, it it serves us well all the almost all the way through the movie. Mm. Graham, um. How well, how even or or otherwise do you do you feel this film actually is? Does it does it hang together or or in the bits of it where you kind of go, yeah, they've they've just kind of lost their way a little bit through here. Well, I must admit, I've never really analysed uh, Octopussy until preparing for this. Uh, now, probably I, for good reason. Yeah, and I, I, I think you can see why because it. It doesn't bear scrutiny, and and I think it's worth telling anybody who wants to go back and watch it is don't don't scrutinise it. Just sit back and watch it. Sit watch it when you just want to let a Bond film wash over you, um, because that it, it is a Bond film in every sense of the world. It, it, it it's not like anything that tries to break the mould, but it just throws so much stuff at you that there. There isn't a lot of cohesion there. The plot doesn't doesn't really hold together. There's a lot of things in there that aren't really explained. Um, and yeah, if if uh, well, we, I try and say never ever look at the plot because the plot holes are, are there and they and they and they're really just you should be looking at the shiny baubles on a, on the Bond film because they, they they take you away from the from from the gaping plot holes. But this one has has bags of them uh luckily there is plenty of stuff to to distract you with this film uh, um some of it not so great but i i 
I do enjoy this film and I, re- I, I really enjoy it, but you don't enjoy this film because it's brilliant it's in, in, and it's great and it's really well put together. You enjoy it because it's a bit of fun. And, and I think we... We we talked a lot recently uh, in this in this sort of look at the at the more films about how the ones that do really badly are the ones that can't decide what they are and Octopussy does veer into that because it wants to be Cold War drama it it wants to be knockabout fun it wants to be some uh, some period piece set in the Raj and. Uh, it is difficult because some, sometimes you, you you can think back on this film and and think that you're thinking of two separate films, and it and it feels like that sometimes. You, it does feel that that there are uh, that there are so there are, there are not so many strands because it's all one strand, but it, it the way it ties in with it uh, with, with them all sometimes they, they they just don't fit. But as long as you don't worry about that, as long as you just view it as a bunch of stuff that happens. It's a great film. Yeah, I I still, for all the fact that I've sat down and probably thought about it harder than I've ever thought about <laughs> Octopussy before, which which is not something I'd necessarily recommend to anybody, um, I still came out of it going, you know what, I actually really enjoyed it. It, it has that kind of odd tempo that when you sort of suddenly go back into into Germany, that really picks up into, into the tenseness. And... Those scenes on the train are absolutely fantastic. That sense of danger, like Moore lets his uh, his bomb count down more than Connery did in uh, <laughs> in Golden in Goldfinger. Um, it's like there are some absolutely superb moments in it. Um, it kind of bobs along a little bit here and there, but the the sense that you come out at the end for me is just that it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this film. I just found, for all the problems in it, it is a film that can just wash over you and you do enjoy. And Terry, you know, again, for all the problems, you've got some wonderful performances in this film and some, I got a sense that all the actors actually had really good chemistry with with Roger in this one. There's just, there's a lot to like about every performance in there. And there's a lot of lot to enjoy about the the actors that are on screen at any given point in time. And there's some there's some it's a great ensemble cast, isn't it? Uh, and and you 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 like to you know you, if you were to write a fan fiction about the making of of, of Octopus, you'd imagine that they'd have all, all have a all have a great time behind the scenes. And, and and there are some there's some genuine chemistry that goes on. And I think certainly. Between Roger Moore and Louis Jordan uh, together, they they work brilliantly together. I mean, uh, Graham and I are, are, are quite enthusiastic backgammon players, and very much enjoy the backgammon scene, even though it's not really they're not really playing backgammon. It's it's they they they're using the it, it's 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 not authentic, you know. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it it doesn't matter. It's not important because the game is so arcane in appearance that nobody nobody's going to know unless you actually know how to play backgammon, and 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 nobody cares. So um, it, it's and it's just nice to see backgammon featuring in this movie. But I do I, I enjoyed the, that whole sequence again. The egg playing a decisive role in really adding some tension in, into that, and the great chemistry between the two. I mean, Roger Moore and Maud Adams, of course, you know, have worked together before in Man with the Gold Gun, and 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 I thought that for again for all the problems about uh, the character, I thought you know that you know Maud Adams is a is a is a solid Bond girl, absolutely wonderful, great actress, and worked really well. Of course, the movie's got Kabir Bedi in it, who is a is a legend in, in of, of Indian cinema. He's a hugely famous actor at the time, and I'm certain going back to what Graham was saying would have been quite a draw in India. And it, it wasn't the first time that they would do that. There are movies that they made on location back in the day and they would recruit actors who, would, who I guess would be local actors. And they were, you know, quite, quite famous for their, you know, in, in their market. Um, and it, it's, 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 it's pretty smart. So that ever so slightly sort of like counterbalances the problematic 
bluntly colonialist or racist elements of, of, of the movie. Because they, they do, when they want to, they do, they do some great casting. And Gabinda is just a, such a memorable henchman. What, definitely, you know, a top five James Bond henchman. So you have to weigh all of this stuff up um, when you're assessing the movie. Don't, I mean, don't ignore, as Graham is correct, ignore the plot because, you know, you're, you're just, it's, 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 it's mostly borrowed from a Robert London novel and, 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 and the rest of it is just, you know, taken from an Ian Fleming short story and then just like all cobbled together. But, but the, the, the chemistry of the ensemble and the fun that they're having and the skill and the experience of an admittedly aging Roger Moore just, you know, makes this movie work really, really well as a very enjoyable piece. Mm. And, and Graham, like, which members of the cast do, do you kind of have a fondness for as well? Um, I, for me, I, as, as Terry said, I absolutely love Gabinda. I think he is a fantastic, fantastic henchman. Um, and uh, the other things that I, I really love about this as well is you've got a bit of extended Q, which is always good. You've got a bit of extended General Gogol, which is always good. And I really, there's a kind of nice heart as well with um, with Vijay, Vijay Armitraj, who um, plays the, you know, the, um, the kind of station officer. And there's just a, a wonderful nature. And there's, I think it's quite funny because you could watch this and have no idea that he was a professional tennis player at all. But despite the fact he's kind of, you know, there's lots of allusions to it. It's almost like that kind of celebrity casting. If you, Do they pass the VJ test? Uh, could you watch this and have no knowledge and still enjoy it? And if you do have that knowledge, you'll get the few gags that are in there. Yeah, I wonder if people will be saying that in 30 years' time about Die Another Day and Madonna's uh, cameo appearance. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I no, I mean, like, <laughs> Madraj turns up because he's like just, just huge in India. He can't act, but you know, he, he certainly has a lot of fun. And, and Roger Moore has a lot of fun with him as well. So there is some goose some good chemistry in there but the the whole sort of like 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 tennis references in the in in the tuck tuck chase are just really really labored they don't make any sense either which is which is great i so so that's like when the when the when the crowd are looking one way or the other that doesn't work in the chase they're only going in one direction what are you doing it's like so but you know the go, going through through the bursting through the poster and the other one coming down that that's that's brilliant i love that bit um uh, the, but you're right they they also about character uh, about bad guys in this how many bad guys are there in this they like like it just sort of like all oh, right we've got a new scene here it's uh, we need we need we need to put some peril i think we should just get some more bad guys in should, can we not use the one we've already got Ah, let's get some more in. Come on, they're really cheap. Come on, <laughs> we've gone all this. We've gone all this way, and we haven't talked about the second villain, have we? No, no we, exactly. we've not. <laughs> We're too busy in India because there's so many bad guys in there. You've got you've got laughing guy in the, in the bar who doesn't want any trouble with the woman. Uh, but uh, yes. <laughs> We don't want to make enemies with the woman. <laughs> and then there's the, the most ineffective, ineffective assassin ever, who was, who's, who's brilliant, but only if he's above you. <laughs> <laughs> the buzzsaw guy. <laughs> the buzzsaw guy, the, the, the one-dimensional yeah. killer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, using blunderbusses to try and kill people <laughs> as well. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's like... It is. It's good. It's 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 it goes back to the the Moonraker, you know, uh, Venice chase. Isn't yeah, it? So yeah, yeah, it does. It, it does. I, don't I, use the, don't I, use the guys with machine guns in the boat, speedboat gun. Yeah, use the use the knife throw in the coffin. So yeah, yeah. It, it's and it's it's by this point it's a Bond tradition and it, and it's fine. And I love the tuck tuck chase. It's tremendous fun, albeit quite racist. But it is a it is a, a fun thing. I watched that. At, I mean, I watched this movie at the cinema. I'm sure you did too, Graham. Yep, man. and uh, and everybody had a great time. <laughs> Everyone was. had a brilliant yes, time. Yes. You know, I mean, and, and you know, there's there's no, no getting around it. <laughs> they laughed at the funny bits, yes, and, and got really stuck in, you know, with the tense bits as well. So I'd say that yeah, film definitely did its job. Well, let, let's talk about some more bad guys as well, because I think you do know what kind of film you're in for, like after that kind of tense 
start where you're like, oh, what kind of film are we, are we going to, we've had the, the kind of the action sequence and you think this is going to be a kind of like lots of, lots of kiss, kiss, bang, bang. You then suddenly move into a, a very tense talk spy sequence where you kind of like, okay, what's going on here? And then Terry, you have uh, Stephen Burkhoff going mad in front of a screen about 10 minutes in. And at this point you go, yeah, no, nah, I think we know where this one's going to be heading. <laughs> yeah, it 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 it's it, it super. I mean, there's there's been I've read some criticism about um, General Orlov, um, uh, but I think that this is people who are just approaching the movie from in the entirely wrong direction. Frankly, he is an absolutely superb pantomime villain. Um, and he's representing the hawks in the sort of like you know Soviet army, isn't he? And and and, and we're in a we're we're still pre Glasnost, um, but but this idea of detente is taking hold, and 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 we're trying to be sort of like trying to uh, Soviets are, are a bit more nuanced and acknowledge that you've got your doves like Gogol and you've got your hawks like Orlov, and he's an absolute nutter. Uh, but and the sequence in which we're introduced to him is just perfect because it makes it abundantly clear what kind of a person he's going to be and, and what to expect from this person. And we can we can all, as experienced James Bond watchers, even if you've only ever watched a James Bond film when you when it comes on at the cinema, you think this guy's going to be trouble. He's got some big ideas because look, he's pointing at a map and he's talking about his tanks and where he wants to march his tanks. It's fairly obvious what this guy wants to do next. I wonder how that plays in with a Fabergé egg. And, <laughs> and then, you know, and it rather clumsily uh, tells us how to do that. But, I, I mean, again, the sequence in the train carriage between him and Bond, I think, and Roger Moore, is absolutely superb. And Berkhoff would never shies away from the idea of chewing the scenery, give him that opportunity. He is a wonderful actor. And I think, I suspect, sadly, I think possibly as a consequence of Octopussy, when he does film and TV, tends to be cast as kind of eccentric, mad people, um, maybe as a consequence of that. But obviously, you know, he is, he's done tons of stage. Um, and he's, and he's, he's, he's a really, really solid addition to this movie. Um, and, and, but he does also tell us that there are two films going on here. And I think perhaps that, this is the issue with this movie is, is that there are two films happening here. Mm. I, I really like Burkhoff's one. I, I like the, um, <sighs> again, I've, I've read, I read a lot of criticism just going, well, you know, he's, he's ridiculous. And I'm like, well, what do you expect? You've got Stephen Burkhoff chewing scenery. Of course he's going to be ridiculous. And there's just, there's something brilliantly written about him. This is a film that is, again, when we talked about Moonraker, we said this is a film that knows what it's trying to be. I think when they have the Orlov um, plotline in there, they know exactly what they want to be and they never deviate from that at all. And he's just got a fantastic end sequence as well where it's like, tomorrow I will be here or in Russia. Yeah. You roll eyes and die. And it's just, I mean, how can you not enjoy that ridiculous hammy, sequence in there it's fantastic and then you've got the the two killers of mishka and grishka the knife throwers as well and that whole area i mean it's just it's just so much fun and this is i think where where i come down to a octopussy that despite all the faults there are bits where you just get so wrapped up and so enjoyable in this film that you just go Oh, come off it. This is ridiculous, but I'm going to sit here and I'm going to enjoy it. And if you want to pick this apart, fine, but I'm having a good time. Um, and, and Graham, in terms of like you mentioned, there's a lot of villains overall. Now, I can't remember which site I was reading, but it was doing a, one of those lists of ranking the Bond villains from um, from first to last. And it put Louis Jordan, uh, Kamal Khan and General Orlov as second from bottom. Um, I, I don't know about you, but reading that, I got momentarily outraged and I nearly wrote something on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, they're, they are certainly not the worst ones in the world. I mean, I, I have a lot of warmth towards both of them. Louis Jordan, uh, 
particularly because he's so quotable in this film. And he, uh, Louis, Louis Jardin in this film, he, he is he, he's pretty much very much in the Drax role. And Drax, another one of my favorite favorite villains, anyway. So so I've got I've got no problem with that. But you look at uh, uh, Orlov, at uh, uh, Burkov's character here, and now we, we've we. The, the the idea of, of a Russian general t- turning up uh, is something that that is returned to in in a lot of the the, the films that, that 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 come up um, uh, after this one uh, and and a lot of them are, are quite quite forgettable um, even Koskov uh, under Urimov is completely an- anonymous compared to the other uh, villains in, in, in Goldeneye um, but. All of you don't you don't forget him because of Burkov's performance. But Burkov is brilliant at it, and that whole sort of monologue he gets with his with his with his PowerPoint there showing up all oh, the divisions we have ready. You see, you say even then you cannot say it without talking like Burkov. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I'm a bit like more like Milky Milky than, than him. But uh, anyway, he, he, he is he, he is brilliant in this, brilliantly brilliantly hammy. He's, he's Panto. He's completely Panto. He, and the thing is, he gets the 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 idea of the film. I think more than anyone else does. And I think as uh, it all the time you're 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 like telling a tiger to sit. Or you may, or you're putting the uh, Johnny Weissmuller uh, uh, over over swinging through through the jungle. If you can't allow Stephen Burkoff to to like go completely Stephen Burkoff, then then really, yeah, yeah, I don't think you really realised what this film actually is. But I think he does brilliantly. <laughs> in it. Yeah, I mean, Terry, the, we've talked about this this fantastic ensemble cast. How much do you think that this? potentially covers up the fact that you could easily spend octopusy counting the wrinkles on Moore's face. So could you repeat that? Sorry. <laughs> uh, um, we've, we've talked about the ensemble villains um, in there and it's a fantastic ensemble cast as well, but with how much do you think this kind of compensates for the fact that Moore is potentially visibly aging in here? This is a, you know, this is not Roger, at his at his peak, Roger. This is this is Roger who's staying on for a, a, another film, and I, I would you know, and all the best for it because it, it is a very much a a great more caper. But there's no getting away from the fact that this is not a young virile James Bond. Yeah, no, because I mean, I mean, it was there was talk of James Brolin taking on the role as well, wasn't there? Um, and, and that was that was very close, and 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 that that would have been quite interesting. Um. I mean, I, I assume that they probably went with Rog because probably because he was cheap, but also in fairness because he's already incumbent and again never said ever again. You know, going up against Sean Connery, you know, you know they probably had some 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 issues there. Uh, I mean, yeah, you have to accept that when you get as far as Octopussy, that this is old Roger, craggy Roger. Um, and that it's, and there is going to be some scenes in which it, it's going to be quite difficult for it to work. And um, I, I think actually it kind of helps a little bit that when they get to the climax of the movie, he's actually wearing the clown suit because it, you know, it, it maybe, you know, helps him up, scrubs him up a little bit. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, he, he's so experienced in the role, um, and, and so confident and is clearly sort of like the band leader that, that I don't think anybody really genuinely questions him. I mean, I, I think certainly in, in modern times, you wouldn't cast necessarily somebody who was so visibly old as Roger Moore was in this, although obviously Daniel Craig is well into his fifties now. But he's a magnificent specimen of a man, and so I mean he wears it quite well. Um, so, but but yeah, I, in, it's one of the the numerous things you have to forgive about this movie. But you know, it's Roger Moore. I mean, he's great. I mean, he's absolutely great, and 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 and, and he makes the film what it is. So, so I have no no problem with it at all. Mm. And it, it's, I mean, I guess at least. At the very least, um, they've they've cast Maud Adams against him, and the age gap isn't potentially as, as visible as it is on either side of the the Moore films as well. And even the um, 
the scene where where he beds Magda actually is a plot device rather than um, Moore's prowess as much as anything else in there. Um, because yeah, we I'm sure when we get to view to a kill, um, the the uh, the Bond girl in there is slightly more problematic than she is in Octopussy, shall we say? <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, um, I think we we've kind of agree that Octopussy is 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 great fun. It's good knockabout fun. Um, Graham, where do you kind of put this in in the kind of more films? Is it, you know, is it sort of just solidly in the middle? Do its flaws weigh it down? Or is it better than potentially we we might give it credit for or generally the, the Bond world as a whole might give it credit for? Uh, I, mm, I, I, I really think it is in the eye of the beholder this one it, it is it it it's not like moonraker where someone watches it doesn't like it and they're completely wrong on that this the, i think if if someone watches octopus and they don't like it i i can understand why not and for 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 me and Terry, this this film is important because this was one that we saw at the cinema, and this was, would have been one that we would have been looking forward to. And also because of there were the fact that there were two Bond films coming out against each other, there there was a, a a lot of hubbub about this film. So obviously there there is you know you you put the the nostalgic visor on and 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 you're seeing it through through that. I. I I, I wouldn't blame anyone for 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 just looking at this film and thinking this is just ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. Nothing nothing is vaguely 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 realistic in this film. I I just cannot understand why why all this is happening and all of a sudden there's a nuclear bomb. And it's, it's a, a, right okay and and then and then you at least you get a bit of exposition with 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 with, with all of just to, to say what his plan is but it doesn't go to explain well okay well all right i can see why you're doing this uh so why is the french afghan prince and the guy with the <laughs> turban on in, in, in on this caper i mean i just <laughs> it's just Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, just do not think too much about this film. I I have I looked into I stared into that abyss, and 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 I really shouldn't have done. So it's yeah. No, it where it sits, where it where it sits for for me personally, I I would rather watch this than Fiora's Only. Even though I I really enjoyed the rewatch of Fiora's Only, I would watch this. <sighs> would I watch this ahead of of You to a Kill? Do you know? I don't think I would because there's they're, they're similar. I mean, we're going to get onto a view a view to kill next in the next podcast, I hope, and 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 that has a lot of the similar similar things there without without the the the, the problematic stuff that that you get in well, not as much problematic stuff as you get in in, in this one. So I, I would actually I would actually put it below a view to kill, and and obviously you've got you've got the big three that are above it. I I would say yeah, this is probably this isn't this isn't in the lowest two or three it's it's right in the middle of 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 um of moore's canon i think terry where does where does octopussy sit for you in moore's canon <laughs> well nice and snug in the middle um it, it, the thing that the redeeming thing about it is it's got some absolutely glorious action sequences in it some yeah. of the most enjoyable chases in it, the the, the car chase in Germany, um, the 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 Alpha and the two BMW and the BMW bike chase is 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 really 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 good chase. There's true comedy uh, in there as well, and you don't. And it, it's genuine. Yeah, it, it's it's difficult to get comedy in 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 a chase, a believable comedy. But the fact yeah. of of how like you know the 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 sat in the back of uh, of the car with with the with the Germans eating sausage and drinking beer, that's hilarious. Uh, and 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 the and the and the kids in the Carmen gear that pull away and have a joke a, jo a joke at him, and he he's just getting constantly frustrated and the woman in the phone box it, it's just perfect it's got like so many little like, mid 80s and about 21st century german stereotypes at play there the 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 
obviously in British audiences and actually worldwide audiences would have just lapped that up, wouldn't they? Yeah, and I think the circus backdrop yeah. um, a, a helps it as well because then yeah, it a helps add to the comedy. You know, when it, when it comes to it, the climax I think is glorious. I mean, I mean, not so much the the the, the big battle sequence at the end, although that is enjoyable because it's got some very lovely buxom ladies cavorting. And that, that's quite, that is, I'm sorry. But there's a lot of sturdy thighs in there, isn't there? There's lots of sturdy thighs going on there. It's enjoyable, I'm sorry, it just is. Yes. Uh, you know, yeah, well, you, you pay good money that. for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean it, it, it's, and the, 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 the final sequence with the plane is, 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 is obviously absurd. But, you know, it, it, it it's just that the, the tone's a little bit uneven because it, again, it's sometimes it's a spy thriller and sometimes it's just like this, this, you know, really sort of absurd sort of like high comedy kind of thing going on or, or rather low comedy going on. But it does have these great action sequences. The bomb sequence is genuinely tense. We said in the past, you know, <clears throat> James Bond disarming a nuclear weapon in a clown costume is the most Roger Moore thing ever. Um, and, and, and this, this scene is in octopusy. And for that alone, the movie must be treasured and elevated somewhat because it has that, that glorious scene. Um, and, and so I think in, in general, you know, I mean, if you're looking for a sweet distraction for an hour or two, then, you know, <laughs> certainly, you know, octopusy is, is, is very much a, 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 a movie to watch. It's a very enjoyable film. Um, I would probably, I mean, I'd certainly rank it below, below Spy Love Me, Moonraker. And yes, uh, once upon a time, I wouldn't have ranked it um, above, uh, below, uh, I wouldn't have ranked it below A View to a Kill, but I certainly do now, having revisited A View to a Kill recently. So, yeah, I'm afraid it's sort of, it's the, the sum of its parts just don't work together. It's, it's a bit racist and, you know, I, I just think it's just not worn well. It's the kind of movie that belongs um, on the shelf, on the DVD shelf of a middle-aged white bloke, or 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 the not or, or the linear TV equivalent, which is the, the schedules of ITV4, um, <laughs> and it can be probably found there. And it, it is as that, it's perfectly fine and harmless, and and, and people should enjoy. It. And anyone who likes this movie um, should not feel in any way, by anything I've certainly said, I'm not intending whatsoever to cast judgment on anyone. Who enjoys this film um, and thinks it's and thinks it's one of the better ones? Fair play to you. You're absolutely fine. It's, that's just my opinion, and it's an opinion that's changed over years and may well change again as I get older and more racist. <laughs> there, there are <laughs> some some absolutely beautiful moments in in this film, uh, and just uh, either just visually or or the way that they're directed. I think this is actually Glenn's best film as far as the direction is concerned i think it it, it, it nails it on this one uh and i think uh, with this sort of period where it was wilson and maybe i'm doing a lot of the of the writing i think this one has a, a little bit more to say than the, than the other one than, than the other four films that they that they did through through the 80s so i i i, I like it as far as that's concerned and like there's there's one that one scene when when Magda leaves uh, Bond's room when she ties she, she she ties the, uh, the the sari on the balcony and then just goes over it's 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 one of the best exits you'll see in any film that it's brilliant the way she just just falls down folds down onto onto the uh, onto into the waiting car it's just it's just brilliant and it's little things like that that really sort of say say oh well I've, I could forgive you a load of stuff on this film because it, it's just a joy to watch. Yeah, I I still haven't had anything diminished. I went into this film going, I really like this. I hope I'm still going to like this by the end of it. And I've looked into its flaws, and I still really like it. And I don't where would you put it, Gary? Where would you put it in your in your in your canon? I'm particularly interested to see because it, 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 it tonally it's very similar to Moonraker, isn't it? Because it is very, it, it has got these big comic comedic beats, got these big set action set pieces. It is absurd. How does it stand up to Moonraker given what we've went through? We helped you through a couple of <laughs> podcasts ago with, with Moonraker. My, my Drax therapy. Um, it's, 
This is a really tough question, actually. Um, and I'll be, once I finish sort of revisiting View to a Kill in the next podcast, I think I'll really like have it sorted in my mind. But um, and when you kind of look at, at, at Moore's canon overall, I love The Spy Who Loved Me and Live and Let Die. I think they're fantastic films and they're ones that I'd return to and watch again and again. I still think I would probably just about watch Octopussy over Moonraker, but that doesn't necessarily mean to think, say, that I actually think Moonraker is a worse film because I would also watch Octopussy over For Your Eyes Only, but I actually really enjoy For Your Eyes Only. I think it would just depend the mood I'm in. So I'd probably kind of put them all on a a kind of even keel. If this was like a, a, a kind of football table, they'd be like, the films to me that would be scrapping over like mid table with aspirations of Europa league. Um, and that's kind of where I, I put the three of them depends what mood you're in and depends kind of what you want from a bond film. They're all perfectly enjoyable, serviceable films. I'm, I can't still can't get to the point where I elevate Moonraker to live in that die and, and spy who loved me because I, I genuinely love those two films. Um, they're all streets ahead of Man with Golden Gun, which is an absolute honker. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, I, 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 I'm not saying that Moonraker is a worse film. I'm not saying that it's a better film. I'm kind of saying they're both enjoyable in their own way. It just depends what you want from a film. And I just, I think I just happen to enjoy the, the ensemble cast a little bit more in Octopussy as much as anything else. And just the, it's ridiculous, but there's a little bit more grounding of ridiculousness the 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 all of plot whilst it's massively over the top it's also something that isn't so far-fetched it's unbelievable and i think that's still where i come down to moonraker being a little bit problematic but if you sat me down and we were to watch moonraker i wouldn't go oh no you chose that one tonight i'd be like yeah okay i'm happy now you can you can bring it on i am not going to watch the man with the golden gun i'm going to watch moonraker and i think that is a vast turnaround from my um my feelings and thoughts towards it as I was coming into these podcasts. This well, has been uh, quite a journey. Yeah, I mean, as you say, Gary, the the, the all of plot is 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 slightly believable. It is so believable that four years later they pretty much remade this film uh, with just the all of plot. So that that that. <laughs> Yeah, that's that that, that showed, showed showed you where it was, and that and that was like a proper spy film and everything. All right, it had Pierce Brosnan in it, but it was a proper spy film. <laughs> Look, I think you've got to uh, you've got to. You know, I mean, I mean, you're talking about the, the fourth protocol. Yes. Um, for the people who don't know, but I mean, like, if you're going to make any kind of critical analysis in comparing and contrasting fourth protocol and octopuses, you have to bear in mind that at no point does Michael Caine wear a gorilla costume in the fourth protocol. <laughs> So, and I mean, and frankly, I'm not going to take any any analysis seriously, you know, unless it acknowledges that. Frankly, and you know, are you sure? Are you, are you sure? Have you have you seen all the deleted scenes on the uh, on, on the right. DVD? I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, call me a purist, but but I I don't I only go with the original theatrical release. You know, it's got to be said. <laughs> but that said, the answer to your question is yes. Um, so so. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm quite familiar with that film, it's 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 an extremely enjoyable um, '80s um, low-budget spy flick with a Lalo Schifrin soundtrack as well. With a lovely Lalo Lalo Schifrin soundtrack, and uh, and and yeah, Michael Caine playing a kind of Harry Palmer style role with a lovely Frederick Forsyth plot. Uh, yeah, which to, which he wrote after it. after Octopussy. So so Octopussy doesn't take 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 it from the book. The book came out after Octopussy did. So but mm. I mean it's the, the that that plot line is is very much it, it would have been very much in the minds of people the whole Greenham Common thing around that time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, Octopussy is to an extent reflective of a time. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, I mean, it does not know that stuff's going on around it. Um, it's just does it, it's just it's not its job to to comment on that, um, you know, or, or necessarily you know, you know, sort of like make a point about it. It's just it's just thinks oh, well, that's going on. Let's see if we can turn that into a James Bond film. You know, so excellent. You know, and uh, and you know, fair play to it, it worked. Yeah, it's 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 a film that I think. Yeah, I, I can I can see where Moonraker is not a bad film. And it's, it is quite enjoyable. Whereas, like you said, Graham, I can definitely see 
some people watching Octopus and going, I really don't like this film. And you you wouldn't be able to tell them, sit down and tell me they were wrong <laughs> and criticise them for it at all. Because it, it's a film that I think you will either really enjoy, which we did, or you will just look at and go, oh dear, this wasn't good at the time and it, it's not good now. Um, but I think we've kind of reached a, a good point in there. And I'm genuinely looking forward to our final more um series of podcasts where we get to a view to a kill not least because it means that i can go off and listen to some duran duran which is always a pleasure um but i think it just remains for me to to wrap up and say thank you very much to uh terry and graham as ever for um your best efforts to try and convince me that Moonraker is is one of the best Bond films of all time. I'm getting there, but I'm I'm still not up there. You've got a lot of concessions from me on this. Um, gents, are you looking forward to a view to a kill for the next podcast? Okay, am I? Blindly, yes, 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 very much so, Clive. Yes, yes. I think, and listeners, hopefully, those of you who've been with us as well, that you're going to really enjoy um, a view to a kill as well. Until next time. All I can say is spend your time quickly, dear listeners. I intend to. I intend to, to come on. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, goodbye. 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 That was a lot of fun. Ah, uh, it was because it it's a very, very, very fun film. Yeah, I, I honestly, I it was one of those ones that I just came away with. Guy, I've still got a big grin on my face because this isn't really. <laughs> well, yeah, it's entertainment, and that's what it does. It, 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 it the, There's got to be something entertaining for everyone in that film. There's so much in there, isn't there? <laughs> including. Including racism, yes, it's one that I'm sure is beloved of right-wing conservatives, and uh, and absolutely marvelous film. Octopussy, rolling in the aisles, rolling in the aisles. What did you think of that major? Oh, capital, capital. I will keep him in carry for a while. Hey, what? <laughs> <laughs> I also had this, I don't know why I kind of not struck me before, but I came out of this film just being a little bit in love with Christina Wayborn as well. well yeah, <laughs> yeah. She she has got the, 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 this funny expression, though, in the first sort of half of the film, like, like, like whoever she's talking to, uh, like she's trying to maintain a smile, but she thinks that the person she's talking to has trodden in something. It's just one of the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I, actually, I didn't, I didn't mention that. But that—that's that, actually part of the film, though. When, when she's doing her magic tricks in the end, and, and also the little bit of underhand, uh, sleight of hand, in, in that the Bond does, there is something magical about. It. There is something underhand, and and it's like it's like a cheap, a cheap trick. This film it is like something it's like that circus, isn't it? It's it is. It is. It is. It is. It is. It is. It's not as if like you can't see how the trick is done. It's just you, you just you just have to just buy it and say, oh yeah, it's brilliant. There you go. Love, love. Yeah. I, I'm enjoying that. <laughs> it does make it clear to the audience when you offer this is what kind of movie you're going to watch. I mean, yeah. it just it just shifts a bit. Uh, I mean, it doesn't. It's not as skillfully done as as, as Moonraker, in my opinion. But it, what it does make up for with, with, with Moonraker's got Moonraker's like like character palette isn't quite as varied as as, as, as Octopus. Octopus has got got some really interesting, quite diverse. Yeah. Not racially, but just yeah. diverse <laughs> characters. You know, yeah. not racially, but just a, a re, a, and, and and it really really works well. And there's ca- charisma, you know, and humour in it. A lot more humour. In it. Yeah, um, not that, he, that, that there isn't humour in Moonraker. No, course, and, but, I mean that is know, a, a difficult thing. Yeah, when, when you've got a lot of ga- characters in, it's, it's very difficult to to, to <laughs> like like knit them all together. It's it's uh, uh, Thunderball's got a lot of characters in it, and I wonder if they they had a lot of characters in it because they knew that a remake of Thunderball was coming out. But mm. <coughs> Thunderball's got a lot lot of characters, but you don't care about most of them. There's the, the, you're not no. interested in mo- mm. most of them. Most of them apart just, from Vargas. <laughs> uh, what what does Vargas do? 
I've always wanted to, I really want to know what Vargas does. I never want to find out. Well, no, I mean, like, we, don't, we know what he doesn't do. It's like, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, he does not make love. What does he do? <laughs> Apart from score cracking goals, I mean, like. Score cracking goals? Yeah. That's really cool. Every time. Every time. Every time. Every time. Every time. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just struck me actually that Octopussy probably is one of the few films when you talk about that kind of heavy cast I, I was suddenly thinking I was like actually there's a lot of characters in Spectre and Diamonds of Forever and that the, the bad films it kind of weighs down a bit and mm. so they've actually probably done incredibly yeah. well yeah. to have such a, a strong cast with strong characters even the ones who don't get huge amounts of screen time you buy into them straight away and they work within what ridiculous plot there is. Yeah, but I suppose that's, that's part part yeah. of the the sort of like the the one dimensional aspect of a lot of the characters, and especially what would we would see as 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 racist a, a aspects of them, because you're ba they're basically you know, oh look here's someone here's someone f of this race they're gonna they're gonna act exactly how you imagined they would act. So mm. it, it is. It, it, yeah. I mean, a lot of that is is that one dimensional quality, but. But then again, it does help bringing in a lot of people, and um, yeah, and, and it, it obviously confuses you when you've got a French bloke playing an Afghan prince. But oh, 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 how are you meant to, to assess this guy? <laughs> I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've not many I've met many French Afghan princes, so but I wouldn't know. I mean, Gary, you've probably met loads of them. But... Gary's probably oh, tons, <laughs> tons. Yeah. Probably. No, they they all cheat at backgammon. <laughs> of course. Double sixes. It's all in the wrist, Gary. It's all in the wrist. <laughs> <laughs> Spend your time wisely. Goodbye. Quickly. <laughs> Goodbye. I was distracted by my daughter pointing at me through the window. No, that's nice. Want to do it again? I had one last one. <laughs> All I can say is.